Now let's turn for our scripture reading to Romans 8, and we'll read the first 17 verses. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the Spirit, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death." but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs... Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In connection with our scripture reading, we also turn in our book of forms and prayers to Belgic Confession, Article 11. Article 11, entitled The Deity of the Holy Spirit. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son neither made, nor created, nor begotten, but only proceeding from the two of them. In regard to order, he is the third person of the Trinity, of one and the same essence and majesty and glory with the Father and the Son. He is true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Article 11 of our Belgic Confession is on the person of the Trinity, who is the third person of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. And the focus of Article 11 is on the divine uh, nature, the divine nature and identity of the Holy Spirit, and not so much on the specific works of the Holy Spirit. The Belgic Confession by no means ignores the works of the Holy Spirit. And in the previous few articles, there is reference to the Holy Spirit in relationship to creation. And uh, 
in relationship to the conception of our Savior, in relationship to the baptism of Christ, and also that uh, Trinitarian benediction is uh, quoted in which we are assured of the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier. And throughout the Belgian Confession, there are numerous references uh, to the work of the Holy Spirit. As with the Heidelberg Catechism, the, the Heidelberg Catechism has a rather short Lord's Day on the person of the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit is found throughout the Catechism. And of course, these things, uh, that is the, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, cannot be separated when it comes to our faith in the Holy Spirit. And uh, we must also view the work of the Holy Spirit uh, personally in relationship to his work within us. And we will make application to that, particularly uh, from our scripture reading in Romans chapter 8. But our main attention this morning is what we confess according to article 11 here, and that is that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. And as I said, we're not going to ignore the work of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to uh, focus particularly on the the contents of Article 11 before us this morning. And we begin by considering the, the personality or the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And here the point of uh, our confession, according to the teaching of Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit is not some mere force, not some impersonal influence. Even if we say it is the influence or force of God at work, that doesn't clearly distinguish or confess the reality of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's typical of of any kind of anti-Trinitarian heresy, right? And that is any any um, teaching of any professed Christian church or otherwise that denies the Holy Trinity as one God in three persons. But characteristic of all those denials of the Trinity is a denial of the eternity of the Son and a denial of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Now, they make plausible-sounding arguments as they try to make their case. And they may point out that uh, that the word spirit in uh, in the Old Testament use of the of the word often refers to wind or breath. And they may say that the word spirit itself is in the the neuter gender, if you will. You know, some languages have feminine and masculine words, and that's the case with the Greek language, and they'll observe that the word spirit is neuter doesn't indicate feminine or or uh, masculine. And they use such arguments to uh, postulate the notion that the Spirit of God is just simply the, the powerful working of God, the influence of God. And people will refer to it with reference to the Spirit rather than Him, denying the personhood of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible uses masculine pronouns to refer to the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, of course, many examples could be given also from Romans 8. We read uh, the words of our Lord Jesus in verse 16 and following where he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, numerous other examples or instances could be cited of that. The point is that the Holy Spirit is revealed constantly as a divine person. And the Holy Spirit's works indeed reveal his personhood. The Holy Spirit is, is included no less than the Son when we read in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our own image. In fact, in verse 2 of Genesis 1, we're told that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit was, was active in a very intimate way in the work of creation. We sang from Psalm uh, 33 that says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And we know that that refers to, yes, the spoken word, but Christ is the word of the Lord by whom God made the heavens and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, by the spirit or the power. And we understand that in the light of the New Testament to recognize the, the presence and activity and power of the Holy Spirit in the work of creation. The Holy Spirit strives with men. We read in Galatians that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts or desires against the flesh, contrary to the flesh. Genesis 6, God says, my spirit will not always strive with men in view of the wickedness of men. In fact, that God was going to judge the world after many, many years of the Holy Spirit striving with men by way of conviction in a fruitless way that failed to lead them to repentance. The Holy Spirit teaches Jesus assured his disciples that when they are brought before uh, the, the magistrates, the powers of this world, and are interrogated by them, to take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit reminds, Jesus said to his disciples, he will bring to your remembrance all things that I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit uh, grieves do not grieve the Holy Spirit were commanded by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit intercedes. He prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, according to Romans 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit is another comforter. That's how Jesus describes him in, in chapter 14. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will give you another helper. Who is the first helper? Well, it's Jesus himself. Jesus is going to depart from them, but he's not going to leave them alone. He's going to give them another helper, another comforter to dwell within them. So the Spirit is a person, no less than the Son is a person, a divine, holy person, distinct from the Son and distinct from the Father, but no less a person than the Father and the Son. And the mystery of their divine identity and Nature is God in three persons. I don't suppose that the point that uh, we're considering here needs to be proven so much as to be appreciated. Because the danger, I suppose, for us is that we fail to think about it. We fail to think about Him, the Holy Spirit. We fail to think of Him as the one in whom we trust, the God whom we love and who loves us and who's so near to us. This evening we're going to sing that beloved hymn, Abide with me, change and decay in all around I see. Oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. I will give you another helper, Jesus said. 
and he will abide with you forever. It's through the indwelling spirit of Christ, the personal spirit of God who indwells us. Much of his work is revealed in scripture in relation to us. The proof of the Holy Spirit's power is also, along with the many testimonies of scripture, a matter of Christian experience. Maybe we don't think of the Belgic Confession as being very experiential. We think of the Heidelberg Catechism as being experiential. But remember the words that we heard in the, in the opening um, lines of Article 9 concerning the scriptural witness to the Trinity. It says, all things we know from the testimonies of Scripture as well as from the effects of the persons, especially from those we feel within ourselves. The reality of the personhood and the power of the Holy Spirit is a matter of Christian experience. The experience of the work of the Holy Spirit as the comforter. The experience of the Holy Spirit as the one who convicts of sin. The experience of the Holy Spirit as one who teaches. And we could go on and on. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, Jesus told the disciples. We must exercise faith in his holy indwelling, in his teaching, his comforting and convicting work. We can expect too little from him and fail to trust and and honor him as God's children. In other words, we could put it this way. We can fail to fully live up to our, our privilege as New Testament believers who have the clearer revelation of the person of the Holy Spirit and his gracious, divine, saving work in our lives. Well, then we consider, secondly, the procession of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that word procession is is a synonym, is used, uh, spiration. And, and this language of our confession concerns the unique property of the Holy Spirit by which he is distinguished from the Father and the Son. And that's an eternal distinction. In other words, it's not simply a distinction that pertains to the, the nature of the Holy Spirit's work in our redemption or in our salvation. But it's a, a description of an eternal characteristic or property of the Holy Spirit by which he differs from the Father and from the Son. We confessed uh, last time that the, the Son is the eternally begotten Son. Well, the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. And I, I appreciate, I realize that some of you might be saying, well, what's, what's the big deal? Uh, why, why do we get hung up on these, these words? Like, proceed. What does it even mean anyway? The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Well, it's a word that means to go forth from in a very simple way. You might say even the way our breath goes forth from a living person. But it's also a word that's used in the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit in his relationship to the Father, and we will argue also in relationship to his, to the Son. In John chapter, uh, chapter 15, in verse 26, 
Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit in this way. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So that's a description of the Holy Spirit as the one whom Christ sends, and here specifically, who proceeds from the Father. You know that there was a great controversy in the early church over this detail that we're considering here this morning. And that is the procession of the Holy Spirit from the Son as well as from the Father. And uh, part of the argument on the one side that says, oh, the Son or the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, but not from the Son, well, it would refer to this verse that I just read as a proof text for that, because Jesus says that he proceeds from the Father. And they would say, well, there is no uh, text exactly like this that says that the, that the Holy Spirit also proceeds from the Son. And so why do you uh, believe that the Son of the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son? Right? That's the language of the Nicene Creed. We're going to confess that. Uh, well, I guess not tonight, but we are familiar with that language. And actually, that addition, uh, and from the Son, it's called the Filioque Clause, and it was a point of great dispute in the early church. And it was uh, incorporated into the Nicene Creed in the year 526. And this difference between the Western Church, which we would associate then with the, with the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Church, which we would associate with the Eastern Orthodox Church, a split took place in the year 10,000 or 1,054. And among other issues, this was one of the reasons, this difference over whether the Holy Spirit proceeds only from the Father or proceeds also from the Father and the Son. And the Western Church and the Reformation churches have adhered to that filioque clause of the Nicene Creed and continue to confess that uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son as well as from the Father. Why? On what grounds? Well, we read verse 26 that speaks of the Holy Spirit as being sent from the Son, whom I will send to you. Now, there are other verses that speak of the Father sending the Holy Spirit. And so this speaks of a relationship that the Holy Spirit has to both the Father and the Son. More is said about that in, uh, in John chapter, chapter 15. No, it's chapter 16. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. When he, the spirit of, of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is sent and given for that very purpose. The Holy Spirit's work is viewed in Scripture very, very closely in connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his work and his initiative in sending the Holy Spirit. And another very significant passage in that connection is uh, following the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he appeared to the disciples and we're told that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And that's been understood, and I believe properly, the Western Church has believed properly, as kind of an earthly, temporal uh, instance of the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Son in a way that reflects an eternal relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Son. He proceeds eternally from the Son. The Holy Spirit is so often referred to, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, as the Spirit of the Son, because you, our sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. In Philippians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, that passage that we, that we read, um, we read in verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's a passage in which the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are placed side by side in a, in a parallel kind of relationship. And it's a relationship that indeed reflects an eternal relationship between the Son and and the Holy Spirit. And that is important. Because this point really defines that eternal relationship between the Son and the Holy Spirit. We may put it this way. If the Spirit doesn't proceed from the Son, but only from the Father, if this Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Son as well as from the Father, there would be no eternal relationship between the Son and the Holy Spirit given to us in the Bible. The Bible doesn't reveal them as eternally brothers. The Bible doesn't reveal them as both somehow being eternally sons. No, the Bible reveals them in terms of specific relationships among themselves that are unique to their individual properties. And the Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. And the Son is the only begotten Son. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. And that makes clear the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Son, without which we would have no understanding of script in Scripture on that subject. But there is a relationship. And as mysterious as it is to our small minds, uh, we believe and confess, again, according to the, uh, the words of our Article 11, that the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son, neither made, nor created, nor begotten, but only proceeding from the two of them. In regard to order, he is the third person of the Trinity, of one and the same essence and majesty and glory with the Father and the Son. Again, reminding us that these distinctions among the persons of the Trinity Trinity, do not involve any kind of first in time and then relationship, doesn't involve any kind of hierarchy in terms of uh, greater godness to one over the other. No, it's they together are true and eternal God of one essence, of one divine nature, but distinguished according to their personal properties. Yes. That's the mystery of the Trinity that we confess in terms of the person of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly and finally, we want to say more about the deity of the Holy Spirit that indeed is uh, 
the main point of this article. And there are three clear lines of biblical arguments that uh, I, w- I could say prove this, uh, demonstrate that. Far better to say reveal this. Reveal this to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit is identified in Scripture with divine names. He's referred to as God. When Ananias and Sapphira lied, they lied to the church, but in doing so, they lied to God. And lying to God and lying to the Holy Spirit are described as one and the same thing. Peter said, you have not lied uh, to men, but you have lied to God. And in the previous verse, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Possesses these divine names. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read of Isaiah that he saw the Lord, Jehovah, to use that older uh, reference to uh, this name of God, the Lord, high and lifted, lifted up. His train filled the temple. The seraphim flew before him, covering their eyes and their feet. Their faces crying, holy, holy, holy. And then Isaiah was commissioned to go to the people. And the, the, the mission that he was given is described in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 28. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Now who spoke these words to Isaiah? Well, the Lord spoke these words to Isaiah. But Paul, there in Acts 28, says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke. And then these words are quoted. These are words of, of the Lord. They're the words of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually a vision that's referred to in the Gospels as a vision in which Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ. He possesses divine names. He is described by divine attributes. He is the eternal spirit. Christ, by the eternal spirit, Hebrews chapter 9, verse says, offered himself without spot to God. He is everywhere present. Where can I go from your spirit? David says in Psalm 139, he is omnipotent. The mighty works of God, these miracles were performed by the Holy Spirit. And he distributes these gifts according to his will. First Corinthians says, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in his distribution of gifts. Thirdly, he performs divine works. We've already noted his work of creation. It's the Holy Spirit who gives new birth, gives new life. In John chapter 3, it's the Holy Spirit who knows the things of God. No one knows the things of God, but the Spirit of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.11. And of course, we could, we could elaborate on these points, but just remember those, those three principal ways in which the divinity of the Holy Spirit is revealed in Scripture. Divine names, divine works, divine attributes. And that's why we confess that he, with the Father and the Son, is worshipped and glorified. That's the language of the Nicene Creed. Who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. So what is said of the Son is likewise true of the Holy Spirit. We invoke him. We call upon him in song, in prayer. We say, sing, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. From our baptism, we are taught to cling to him, this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust in him, in his indwelling, to trust in his sanctifying presence, 
to trust in Him as the one who communicates to us all that we have in Christ. The forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins, the love of God which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The fruits of a renewed life, love, joy, peace, as we've read from Galatians chapter 5. The assurance of our adoption as he witnesses that we are sons of God. And again, this is like a sampling. In fact, you might understand why the confession doesn't even attempt to elaborate all the works of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, indeed, is most rich, that passage that we read. And it's rich also with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of life by whose grace we live, whose things we mind. That is, we think about the things of the Holy Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit has revealed. By His power, we are given resurrection life. By the Spirit, we may put to death the deeds of the body. We may, we may grow. We may advance in our battle with sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. He produces childlike prayer. He gives assurance by His witness. You see, the Holy Spirit brings the whole doctrine of salvation near and makes it our own possession by applying the works of Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit that Christ dwells in us. We read that in verse 9 of chapter 8. You are, if you are, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It's like the Apostle Paul just goes back and forth to refer to the Holy Spirit and to Christ, not as if they're one and the same person, but to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit in making Christ known and communicating the riches of Christ to us in our own life and experience. It's the Holy Spirit who is forming Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit who causes the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. The Holy Spirit who glorifies Christ to us by effectively really revealing to our own souls the wonders of Jesus. It's through the Holy Spirit that by means of the sacraments we are united more and more to Jesus Christ. We might say that through the Holy Spirit, God with us, right? You know what that is. That's Emmanuel. Through the Holy Spirit, God with us becomes God in us. Amen.